why are we here at this time? What is the central focus of this time together? What is the most important thing we do when we come together? The answer to those three questions is all the same. Why are we here? We're here to worship God. What is the central focus when we come together? It's to worship God. What is the most important thing that we do when we come together? We worship God. God is the focus. God is the reason. He is the central focus and the most important reason why we come together. But when we come together, we engage in various acts of worship. One act of worship is not any more important than another. The opening prayer is no more significant than the closing prayer. The songs that are sang before the Lord's Supper are no more important than the songs that are sang after the Lord's Supper. No more important than the song that we sing that encourages those who have yet to obey the gospel to do so. God is the reason we're here. He is the main focus. He is the purpose for our coming together. One of the acts of worship in which we engage, in which we are going to be engaging in just a few moments, is the Lord's Supper. And one of the questions that may arise when we're having discussions with others on this particular matter is, why do you partake of the Lord's Supper? Not why do you partake of the Lord's Supper, but why is it that you partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of every week? Why is there a weekly observance of the Lord's Supper? Many religious groups would not deny the need to partake of the Lord's Supper. But those same groups will do so perhaps monthly or quarterly or once or twice a year. And that's different from partaking of the Lord's Supper, obviously, on the first day of every week. We began this series of lessons by stating that we are to speak when we speak, when we teach, as it were, the oracles or the utterances of God. So when we speak on the matter of the Lord's Supper and while we observe this act of worship weekly, we need to speak in a way that glorifies God, but that is reflective of what God has revealed concerning this act of worship in the Scriptures. Now, we're going to begin this discussion, and this is in the outline in your newsletter. We're going to be, begin this discussion with a review, a brief review of Bible authority. Because if you don't understand how to establish authority, you cannot address this question. Bible authority, as is true of any authority, is established by commandment, example, and necessary conclusion or inference. Now, I'm going to touch upon each one of these again briefly. I'm not going to exhaust this subject because we could spend all of our time just on that particular matter. Commandments. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, that raises the question. Is there a commandment pertaining to the Lord's Supper? Is there a commandment pertaining to each of the acts of worship in which we engage on the first day of the week? If there is a commandment, 
then that is the place that we are to begin. We also understand that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to guide the apostles, men who were delegates or messengers, chose by him to present the truth and to continue his work after he died and went back to be with the Father. In John chapter 16, you'll notice beginning in verse 12, Jesus said to these men, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So God sent Jesus, who sent the Holy Spirit, to the apostles to guide them into all truth. So if I want authority for a religious practice, I begin with commandments, but then I also consider what it was that was commanded or taught by these apostles. Compare chapter 13, verse 20. Notice in this uh, chapter in the 20th verse, that is John 13, verse 20, Jesus said to these men, truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send, Jesus sent the apostles, receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. God sent Jesus God sent Jesus, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to guide the apostles who were sent by Jesus. So if we re reject the teaching of the apostles, we reject the teaching of God. Now this leads into the second area of establishing authority, and that is apostolic example. We look to the example of the apostles. What did they do? Not just what did they teach, but what did they do? And we know that we are standing on solid ground when we have commandment, direct statement. We know we're standing on solid ground when we have an apostolic example that has been approved or an example of a commandment that is approved by the apostles. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17, consider what Paul wrote to this church. And as you think about what it is that he wrote, you, you have to take note of the fact that this is, this is not something that just anyone could have said. But an apostle under the influence of the Holy Spirit, a delegate or a messenger of Christ could make this statement. Philippians 3 and verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now we're going to see in a moment why having approved apostolic example is important in establishing authority for what it is we do when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Now the last area, which is maybe a little confusing at first, but it, it really makes sense when you begin to think about it, and that's the, the uh, necessary conclusion or as we sometimes say, necessary inference. In other words, there are certain things that you can infer or conclude based on commandments and examples. And I'm going to use a case 
to illustrate this that we've been looking at when we talked about baptism. It's the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 8, this is real simple. Acts chapter 8, you know how Philip was, was um, preaching or teaching from the book of Isaiah. Philip, verse 35 of Acts chapter 8, opened his mouth, and he be beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus. Philip preached Jesus. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, what water, what prevents me from being baptized? What's the necessary conclusion? What's the necessary inference? It is that to preach Jesus is to preach baptism. You do not see a reference to Philip preaching baptism. It says he preached Jesus. But then the eunuch asked the question, what prevents me from being baptized? Why did he ask that question? It's because we necessarily conclude or infer that preaching Jesus includes preaching baptism. Now, that doesn't have anything to, to do with the Lord's Supper, but that, that helps to illustrate the concept of necessary inference. Bible authority and weekly observance of the Lord's Supper go hand in hand. Direct statement, direct commandment. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is with the apostles. He's with those who would go and preach the gospel throughout the whole world, and this is before he died, and he's with them in the upper room. They're partaking of the Passover meal. And in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 27, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it. That's a commandment. That's a direct statement. All of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. A delegate or messenger... Of the apostle or of Jesus, the apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23. Paul writes, I receive from the Lord. Now let's stop right there. How did he receive it from the Lord? Paul was not one of the original apostles. He was not there, the event that we just read in Matthew chapter 26. Paul was not there. How did he receive it? He received it through the teaching that came to him under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So whatever Paul would teach on this subject is what Jesus taught on the subject as sent by God. We reject what Paul taught. We reject what Jesus taught. We reject what God taught. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this. Direct statement. Direct command. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we have direct statement from Jesus. We have direct statement from an apostle to partake of the Lord's Supper. We know that we are to break bread. We are to use the emblems, unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. But what is not stated in the passages that we just read? It's the frequency. 
We know we are to partake of the Lord's Supper. But there's nothing given concerning the frequency. We only have one verse. It's a, a, ver a verse which states a fact. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Acts ch chapter 20 and verse 7. If a person's reading through the Bible quickly, they might not see it. But in Acts 20 and verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. That is an approved apostolic example. Paul was there. Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. We have direct statement from Paul, we have direct statement from Jesus, and we have an approved apostolic example of Paul partaking of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Now, I said earlier that this establishes authority for frequency. How so? How so? Necessary inference. Necessary conclusion. There's an excellent chart in your workbooks, and I know many of you did not bring these, and many of you may not have them, and I am going to order some more because we are out. But there's an excellent chart, if you want to make a note of this, on page 43 of the workbook that lists the different memorials and feasts that we read about in the Old Testament as well as the Lord's Supper. It gives scripture references and the time and the frequency. Passover, 14th day of the first month. 14th day of the first month. It doesn't say anything about the frequency. But if it's the 14th day of the first month of the year, how frequent does that day come once a year? Trumpets. First day of the seventh month. How often does the first day of the seventh month occur annually? Atonement. Tenth day of the seventh month. How often does the tenth day of the seventh month come annually? The Sabbath. There is the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy under the Old Covenant. That's the sixth day of the week. That's the seventh day of the week. Excuse me. How often are they to keep the Sabbath holy? How often does the Sabbath day come? Weekly. Necessary conclusion. We are to partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. See how simple this is? How often does the first day of the week come? It comes every week. If I give a commandment to, to my, my child, you are to mow the yard on Saturday. That's a direct statement. I'm going to take the lawnmower and I'm going to show you how this is done. Now you know how it's done. That's an approved father example. He mows the grass on Saturday. The next week rows around, he doesn't. What's up? Why didn't you mow the grass? Well, you said to mow the grass on Saturday. I, I fulfilled the commandment. I think you should have been able to, to, to reach a necessary conclusion that you are to mow the grass weekly because Saturday comes once per week. That is how we know that we are to partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of every week. Now, before we partake of the Lord's Supper, I want us to think for just a moment. The, the, Jesus said that those who would please God would worship him in spirit and truth. We've addressed the truth 
outside of that. Commandment, example, necessary conclusion, we see that there is Bible authority for this practice, this act of worship. But what about the spirit side when we partake of the Lord's Supper, which we're about to do? We need to think about the memorial significance of the Lord's Supper. In the book of Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, God gave the rainbow. It is a reminder that he'll never destroy the world again by a flood. In Exodus chapter 20, we read about the giving of the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. It states, remember to keep the Sabbath holy. There is memorial significance. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, there's a lot that we could say about the significance of the Lord's Supper. But what should be said and what has been said is that it has significance in terms of it being a reminder. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's read that passage again and notice 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll start here at verse 24 when Jesus said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in verse 25, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. When Jesus said, when he established the Lord's Supper, he used that same terminology as often. Well, we partake of it weekly, but as often as we do it, we are in our minds to be remembered. We are in our minds to know that we are engaging in a memorial service. In this same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And then he explains what he means by partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Many look at that and say, well, who is worthy? Well, no one is worthy. We all sin. We all fall short. But to partake in an unworthy manner is the result of an examination, verse 28. A man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. What does it mean to not judge the body rightly? It means to not think about what Jesus did. It is to fail to remember the sacrifice, to remember the giving of his body and the shedding of his blood so that we might be forgiven of our sins. We need this weekly reminder. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, let's do so in a worthy manner as we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made.